Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I'm Janelle and I'm going to be your host for the next few minutes. I am so happy that you have found your way here. In a competitive podcast world, you somehow found your way here. So welcome. May the words of my story inform your story. I've been asked recently on many occasions, why? Why, Janelle, did you start a podcast? Second question, and why did you start a podcast on Speak Healing Words? Well, let me answer these respectively and honestly, because I'm all about being honest and vulnerable and transparent with you because in my world, there's no other way to be. First and foremost, I started a podcast because in my private practice, you can only say so much in a certain amount of time. And so when my clients would leave, I would have other thoughts and I would have, oh, I wish we had talked about this and oh, we need to talk about this. But in an effort to not overwhelm my client, I thought, let me create additional bonus resources and materials and conversations that they can listen to in the intermediate period of time before they come back to their next session. That was my original thought, just a place for my clients. And then I thought, you know, but then when I speak and when I teach outside of my practice, once again, I would leave an event or leave a book signing or leave an interview and go, oh, I wish I had said this or this and I wish there was more. So that would be a secondary reason, because in the world of words, there's just always so much more to say. I guess that's a pun, and that's a pun intended. The second reason, why did I create a podcast on speak healing words? Well, as I spoke about in our introductory podcast, I have always been really crazy about words. Words have always had great power in my life even before I understood their potency. I've shared growing up in an alcoholic home, it wasn't quite normal, it was a bit dysfunctional. And even before I realized what I was absorbing as a child in that atmosphere, I did pay attention to the words that I was hearing. And I remember clearly you know, I'm not trying to be negative Nancy here, but just realistic in my history of hurts. I remember hearing my mother say as a prayer, pretty much that, boy, I hope your father doesn't kill somebody on the way home. Well, okay, I'm 10, only a decade on the planet wondering, well, that sounds terrible. And not having the wherewithal or the emotional maturity to really grasp what on earth she meant. 
Well, now I know what she meant. He was an alcoholic. She was afraid that he would drink and drive. Well, that's an honest thing to pray for. That's an honest comment. But to a child's ears, it evoked panic, fear, confusion. And so maybe it just would have helped if either I had known the right question to ask or perhaps my mother had shared a bit why she was saying that so that I would have a little bit more context But I would just go to my room, which I shared with my sister, and if she wasn't there, she was six and a half years older than me. So typically at that time, if I'm 10, she's already in preteen, teen years. And so I had that quiet time in my room, and I remember standing by the window in the dark, being very cognizant of God, knowing he was there, knowing he was real on some level. My mother took me to church, to Catholic Mass, and I I remember being very sensitive spiritually as a child and praying to this God that, oh, please don't let my daddy kill anybody on the way home. That would be just so terrible. And so just keep him safe. It was a simple, childlike prayer. Just keep my dad safe. And I'm here to say that Thankfully, he did, and that my father didn't harm anyone driving on the way home from work. So words have always been a very, very important part of my life and still are, and I believe I now have more understanding about the power of those words And that we need to speak healing words. And if I speak them in front of my children, even now as adults, I need them to have context and I need there to be a relative relative meaning to what I'm saying. And so words just have so much power. And I just wanted to have some sacred space in podcast, in the podcast universe to talk about them and to to give them meaning and to give them their due because, my goodness, words have the power of life and death. And so I hope that somehow these 20 to 30 minutes in your life just give you pause, just give you permission, and they give you power to not only consider how your words are moving in the universe, And in your spheres of influence, but how the words of others should, could, or would have that kind of power in your life. So obviously I came to a reckoning, as Brene Brown might say, a reckoning and a rumbling with how I allowed the words of others to possess my identity and to speak into my life. So I wrote about my journey, my story in Overcoming Hurtful Words, Rewrite Your Own Story. It is my newest book and it's my newest passion. And I developed the Heartlift Method, a threefold phase of how to move through your history of hurts, all those negative narratives and negative words that have been spoken over your life and how to reflect, reframe, and reauthor them into a powerful new story, a new narrative. And that might be individually. It might be within your family, uh, family of origins, and your family, your current family. 
How do we create a new narrative filled with healing words that empower us to live into our God-breathed capacity? How do we do that? Well, that's why I do what I do, and that's why I'm here talking with you right now. So I love to choose a word of the week on Wednesday's word. And today's Wednesday's word is happy. Okay, we're going to go deep, not so wide, because we only have a certain amount of time. This might have to be part one and part two. We're going to see how far we can get today in our time together. And I like to be relevant, and I love to be exponential, which is a word that we use in the teaching world, in the preaching world. There seems to be themes that arise during my week of counseling and coaching my clients. And then as I move through my week, I, I have Bible studies I attend and teach and seminars. I'm going to Buffalo this weekend to teach a seminar, Heartlift Buffalo. So if you're in the Buffalo, New York area, please message me or email me and I'll let you know where we're meeting. I'm meeting in a home and I cannot wait to have this intimate gathering with women to speak about how to create a legacy built on our threefold cord of emotional health and spiritual authenticity. You cannot divide the two. We cannot be spiritually authentic. And I even am going to go out on a limb and say spiritually powerful, spiritually impactful, when our emotional health is stuck in a negative narrative. When we walk into our communities of faith, we walk in with our emotional state of being, our mental health. So I am impassioned to help us become emotionally healthy, have a healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. That's our threefold cord, and I am committed to helping all three areas in of the in your life be so strong to be stronger every day to be better every day. So today is all about happy because I sat in a Bible study last Wednesday and listened to about six or seven middle-aged women, not old women, middle-aged women, my age women, really not I want it's not discontent's not the word since I have to be effective with my words. I would say a bit confused, a bit, what do I do now with my life? And not feeling a sense of fulfillment, which when we feel fulfilled, when we feel as though we are optimizing our gifts and talents and living a meaningful life, we, the affect of that life will be happiness. And then in my work with my clients, I sense that same theme and I and in my own life. Why am I not really getting out of bed with a sense of happiness, with a sense of meaning? Okay, so I've been thinking about this all week. I can't say I've come to any grand conclusion that if you do step one, two, and three, you will be happy. But I'm a little bit further along in my understanding. So let me just try to share from my heart what I have been researching, studying, and learning in my time with myself, with great leaders, great uh, men and women in the Bible as well, and uh, with others. So one of the main 
misconceptions about happiness is that uh, we will be happy all the time. You know, that's just not true. Happiness can be conditional. That's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is conditional. Joy is unconditional. Joy is based on a faith in God, a God that is trustworthy, who I believe 100% has my life in his hands and that no matter what befalls me, my joy in the Lord, my joy is not based on my circumstances. It's based on my belief in my trustworthy God, my Father, who above and above all else has my heart in his hands. And ultimately, each and every aspect of my life will be good, ultimately. It might not feel good in the present, but it ultimately will be good because I have a good, good father. Happiness, on the other hand, can be quite conditional, can't it? I might be happy when I'm eating my cup of sweet frog yogurt in the evening, frozen yogurt. My love, I love frozen yogurt in the evening. It it calms my esophageal disease. It feels cool going down. And I'm happy when I'm eating that. But when it's all gone, I'm not so happy. I, I want more. So happiness can be based on the simplest of things. It's hard to understand the causes and effects of happiness. Researchers have been trying to do it for years. Philosophers have been trying to do it for centuries upon centuries. Sometimes it's interchanged with words like well-being. And it can be measured by simply asking people to report how satisfied they feel with their own lives. How much positive and negative emotion they're experiencing. There have been TED Talks on it. There have been millions of books written about happiness. And I always tend to go to the ultimate book of all books, the ancient scriptures, because they are what guide me in my faith life to finding true meaning. Well, when we look in the scriptures, happy, Psalm 144, verse, let me get to that. I believe it's verse Verse 5 says, happy is the people whose God is their Lord. About 30 years ago, I wrote, I did a lot of children's ministry work and I wrote a CD with original children's songs on my guitar, which I probably could not even try to do today. But I remember writing this little song, much like a jingle that I talked about in the introductory podcast. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. H-A-P-P-Y-I-S-T-H-E-P-E-O-P-L-E. Happy is the people. And it goes on and on and on. And I just had hundreds of kids and seminars and conferences back in the day singing that, especially my own three in my house. And they can still probably spell the words that way. And You know, I thought, what does it mean, happy is the people whose God is the Lord? And so way back then I studied it and and I went back to that today. And happy does come from the Hebrew samach, samach. 
And happy actually means blessed. And on a deeper level, samak means to brighten up. Oh, I love this. So it could also mean cheer up. And in uh, Psalm 86, 4, the psalmist actually writes a prayer. And in the New Living Translation, it says, Give me happiness, O Lord. The King James says, Rejoice in Rejoice in my soul, like brighten up my soul, cheer me up, God. I love that the psalmist is actually asking and beseeching God to give him happiness. You don't hear that very much, do you? I don't, at least I don't. So in my practice and in writing, overcoming hurtful words, and then in writing the the next book, which is currently in the renaming process. So maybe you can help me rename the next book, which is about nine tools that will help you have emotional health and strength. It, these nine tools are the secrets that I have found in my going on my seventh year of private practice of if I had known these nine tools, if I had known about these, I would have saved myself a lot of money in counseling. I would have saved myself a lot of screaming and yelling and tears and anguish. I would have just saved myself a lot of time and energy if I had known these nine tools. So I want to put these nine tools in your hand and in your family's hand so that you can become whole quicker (laughs) than if you had to spend five years in counseling. Oh my goodness, I want to quicken that process. And that's a lot of what the Heartlift Method is about as well. So during this time, I did a lot of study on a new field of psychology called positive psychology. I'm not saying pop psychology. I am saying positive psychology. I even chose my university for my master's based on their integrationist approach to counseling, which means they combine theology, psychology, and theology. A threefold cord that I believe is so impactful when you're trying to help people find their way to true freedom in Christ. So positive psychology, it's been around for a while, but most recently been brought into the realm. So we're going to get a little techie here. So just stick with me, please, as we get to the root of happy. Martin Seligman, a psychologist, is one of the leaders who have brought this into full attention in this century. And he received his inspiration for this field of psychology in a bed of roses. The story of his epiphany in his rose garden, which started the movement of positive psychology, it has become somewhat of a folk legend. I'm not sure how true it is, but here's how the story goes. Seligman's daughter, who was five years old at the time, oh, a little child will lead them, right? Had been trying to get her father's attention when he turned around and he snapped at her. 
unhappy with his response, his daughter asked him whether or not he remembered how she used to whine when she was three or four. She told him that when she turned five, she decided to stop. And if she was able to stop whining, then he was able to stop being a grouch. I love this story. This revelation of developing what was right. Get this. Rather than fixating on what was wrong, sparked what Seligman would go on to promote during his career as the American Psychological Association president. The message that we should, and this is a good should, be teaching our children and ourselves is to look at our strengths, excuse me, rather than our weaknesses. Oh my goodness gracious. So positive psychology then became known as the fourth wave in the evolution of psychology, the three waves respectively before being the disease model, behaviorism, and humanistic psychology. So the practice of positive psychology is a psychology that looks at, that is concerned with authentic happiness and the good life. Because prior to this fourth wave, psychologists, psychiatrists could only get their patients and clients to like a zero on the scale of where they were maybe at a negative 75 and they were trapped in their psychological disorders and with medical help and with, you know, treatment and with with talk therapy and all of those things, they could only get them to a, a zero. They couldn't move them into the positive realm of really living life, a meaningful life and experiencing any form of positive emotion. So they could get them through the negative emotion to a place where we would call homeostasis or just being able to function in life. But they couldn't get them to a point where they would experience on a regular basis positive emotion. And that's where positive psychology stepped in. And that's where I want to step in. I'm not going to go into any more of the tech talk, but that gives us enough to know that in the work that I now do, the work we're doing here in our uh, the work of our podcast and, and any future work that we do together, we want to see how we can flourish and how we can thrive. And I am going to be brave and say, that if you read the ancient scriptures, Jesus definitely was the first positive psychologist. Oh, you can call me on this because we know he was God in human flesh. But when you read through the gospels and you work and live and move beside this man we call Jesus, he was always about setting human beings free, about leading them and guiding them and teaching them with meaningful stories, meaningful talks, meaningful lessons, straight from nature typically, on how to thrive, 
how to live an abundant life, not a mediocre, ho-hum life. John 10.10 tells us that. Ephesians 3.20 heralds that, that God has more for you than you can think or imagine. This is truth, my friend, not pop psychology or um, success doctrine or any of that. It is truth. God wants us to fulfill our purposes and our passions, and he does want us to experience happiness, positive emotion. And if you listened last week and you read through the blog last week, happiness is hard. If all you have been in is difficulty and dark valleys of the shadow of death, coming into happiness and coming into blessedness is like coming out of a dark theater on a bright sunny afternoon and you have to hide your eyes for a few minutes till they acclimate. So happy, happy is a, is a word that truly just means to, to be bright, to be cheery, to be fulfilled. A definition that we might find in the dictionary will just say, it's just about having well-being. It's about having peace of mind. I want to just close today with a few words and in a directive, something that will help us move into perhaps more happy moments in our life than we've ever experienced before. It comes from a great book I found during my master's course called Before Happiness, written by the author of The Happiness Advantage, Sean Acor. Sean Aker, um, it has a very um, powerful TED Talk as well. I'll put that on our Facebook page. And he writes um, these words I love so much. For centuries, people have struggled to unlock the secret of human potential. But Sean's research, Sean Aker's research shows us that for all that we know about the impacts of motivation, emotion, and intelligence on achievement, all of these things stem from how we see the world in the first place. Only once we learn to see the world through a more positive lens can we summon all of our intellectual and emotional resources to achieve our personal and professional goals. And I want to add our family goals because a huge part of why we're here spending time together is because we want to leave a legacy of emotional health and a great deal of happiness. Oh my goodness. So in his book, I read this. Let me see where I want to start here. Let's see, see, see. He talks about a concept called noise canceling. We can boost our positive signal in our brain by eliminating negative noise. And when I read this again, I thought, oh my goodness, I heard this several times when I was in Nashville at two different conferences and they were speaking to, we were speakers and teachers and authors. And so when they all were encouraging us when we write, when we talk, when we teach, to not just add to the noise pollution, but have something important to say. Oh, I don't want to add to your noise pollution today at all. I want to add something positive. But what Sean Aker is saying is that 
we have to cancel noise, a, a lot of the noise in our life. And he writes, noise can lead to a negative reality in which your potential is limited. A positive signal can help you create a more valuable reality, map paths to success, and accelerate you toward your goals. But because of the sheer amount of information we're exposed to in today's world, it isn't easy to hear the signal through the noise. Hmm. Amazing research in positive psychology and neuroscience has found that by consciously decreasing the flood of information your brain receives by just 5%, you can substantially improve your chances of finding that positive signal. It's important to understand that it is not just the outside world that makes noise. Your own brain, and here's what we're walking away with today, In my practice, I'm always like, what's your one vital takeaway that you're going to consider and meditate on all week? So this is ours. Your own brain is a huge noisemaker. Harvard psychologist William James once said, part of what we perceive comes through our senses from the object before us. Another part always comes out of our own head. In other words... Much of our reality is created not by outside facts, but by our own internal voices. And when those voices are a deafening chorus, hear me now, of worry, anxiety, negativity, and fear, we can add rage, we can add anger, we can add grudges, we can add unhealthy emotional connections When those voices in our head are a deafening chorus, hmm, our engagement and success rates plummet. So if we want to create the most valuable reality and be more effective in our personal and professional lives, we also have to find a way to block out not just the external noise, but the internal way as well. So today I leave you, my friends, We are at our point where we need to close our podcast. Like I said, I'm going to probably make part two next week because this is just too good. Blessed are those who make God their Lord. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And give me happiness, Father God. Give me happiness. Give me more happy moments this week than negative moments. And I want to I want to leave you with this charge, with this prompt. Listen to your own internal voices this week. Are they filled with a cacophony of worry, anxiety, fear, anger, stress, negative self-talk, defeating, defeating words? grudges that you just haven't let go of, unforgiveness. Hear those voices and silence them in the power of forgiveness and speak healing words. 
and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.